The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The network was created to help Alberta podcasts grow, improve in quality, and reach wider audiences. It does this thanks in part to support from ATB Financial and CKUA Radio. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. At the end of summer, as I prepared the show for another season, I put out a call for potential guests. Now, I've done this before and have had a somewhat tepid response, but this time around, I was overwhelmed. I'm working my way through a couple of dozen different interviews with Canadians who are living or who have lived abroad. Thanks so much to everyone who's reached out or referred someone to the expats. If you haven't heard from me yet, hang in there. I'm waiting through emails, Facebook messages, and tweets as we speak. I also got a few messages from people who are living a pseudo-expat life. You met Jocelyn and Mike over the last few episodes. They took a year off work to travel around Central and South America with their children. I loved hearing about their experience so much. So when another Canadian recently returned from a pause in his career along with his wife and daughter reached out, I jumped at the chance to talk to him. Join me as we visit a well-traveled Calgarian who's paying it forward, taking a year off here and there to share the joys of travel with his wife and daughter on the expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Ted Burakas and his wife are both teachers who've taken advantage of deferred salaries to see the world with their daughter, Elliot. The father of this family of three Canadians based in Calgary shared his stories with me, as well as his family's plans for where they're going next. You know what, aside from the salary and how to uh, support the uh, out-of-country lifestyle for the year, there were very, very few other considerations. Uh, education, uh, we have a, well, our daughter is now 10. She was seven when we uh, did our first uh, year-long sabbatical. Um, and there were absolutely no worries from our end. Two teachers in the mix, so uh, we, we felt that we had things covered pretty well. Um, so... The education was the easy part. Uh, it was difficult sometimes to get into the right frame of mind and get into doing daily schoolwork, um, but we managed to get through, I think, everything she needed to get through. And when she re-entered uh, grade three, she missed grade two, uh, she was totally up to speed and uh, felt no uh, repercussions from her time away. That's amazing because I expect that the, that would be one of the biggest things holding parents back is this fear that they're not going to be able to provide their, their children with an education that reflects what they would get in a normal quote-unquote school. Well, we're both teachers, so we come at it from perhaps a different point of view. Uh, we have an expression. Well, I have an expression I use with my kids is uh, don't let life get in the way of an education. <laughs> um, and, you know, and if you understand what school is for, uh, you know, school is 
largely a socialization uh, event. Uh, we, we want kids to learn how to get along with each other and, and cooperate with each other, uh, understand each other, and then the, the, the knowledge that they pick up is almost ancillary. Uh, so the, if there were any concerns with, uh, with our trip and our daughter at the time was the thing that we were with each other 24-7 with very little time away. So we were in each other's faces all the time for 11 months. Um, we once in a while ran into um, some similar families uh, for you know weeks at a time perhaps in some cases uh, where Elliot was able to make uh, some friends and, and uh, have, have some of the social interaction with kids her own age. Um, which worked out really well, and, and we'll, we'll do a side note on that, I'm sure. Um, but aside from the socialization, the other thing uh, we had to worry about a little bit was language. Uh, we're French speakers. Uh, we don't speak. We, we speak French in the home, but Elliot is in a francophone school, and we were a little worried that uh, she would lose some of her French competency. Uh, so we tried uh, very hard to to keep that up. And living the last two months of our trip in uh, in France didn't hurt. Yeah, no doubt. Now you you mentioned the language uh, barriers that may or may not have existed. Let's talk a little bit about where it is you guys decided to travel, and how you arrived at the decisions to stay in the countries you stayed in. So where did you stay? All right. So um, the the trip planning decisions uh, for the first trip were very easy. We're, we're in the throes of planning for the next trip, which is tentatively for next year. A year from now, we should be back in Greece. Um, we decided to start in Greece for three months because my parents have an apartment there and uh, just outside in, in a little town. Well, it's on the uh, metro called Glyfada. That was a uh, perfect beginning to the trip because we got to see our, my parents and uh, we used it as the base of operations to explore southern Greece and the Cycladic Islands and, and Crete and Rhodes and so forth. Um, so we started there. We stayed in uh, my parents' apartment for the trip, for the, for the legs to Turkey and Southeast Asia and then back to Italy and France. We used a variety of uh, online. We probably used every online booking tool that was available to us, from Airbnb to Hotels.com to Expedia. Every single one we used. Did did any particular one rise to the top uh, as in terms of being, I don't know, the most comprehensive and affordable, or did it really matter what country you were in? I love Airbnb. Um, we've used it a lot in North America. Um, and it was very, uh, very successful for us when we were using it in uh, in uh, northern Italy and Toscana. Uh, we had one bad experience in Turkey where we had to abandon ship literally because the uh, apartment was flooding. Oh, um, and Airbnb was awesome. They absolutely, they, they immediately refunded our money, gave us a credit for the next trip and helped us find another uh, place to stay. Uh, so in terms of something rising to the top, I'm a big fan of Airbnb. The, the, what was the turnaround on on getting you guys out of the flooded apartment and into a new place? Was it a matter of like hours? Well, the turnaround for resolution was a matter of days. Uh, we actually abandoned ship because we were pretty confident that they would take care of us, uh, which in fact they did. Uh, and even if they didn't, it wasn't worth staying anyways and would have you know eaten up the, the few hundred bucks uh, that would have cost us. Uh, but no, they had a refund in our pocket within about a week or so. Um, they were talking to us immediately, uh, well, through uh, email. They, they had phone numbers, but it was just easier to do email communications. Um, but they took care of business right away. Oh, that's amazing. Now, you talked a little bit about uh, being together 24-7. And 
you know, I've spoken with another couple that that did this sort of similar experience over the period of six months. And, you know, they had some interesting insights about that. Was it, uh, what did uh, being together for, you know, almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week do for you and your relationship with Elliot? Well, I think as a parent, you very quickly have to come to the an understanding of, of what's important and what's not. And, and you really have to be a lot more easygoing, I think, when you're abroad. Um, and I think we did that quite brilliantly. Um, if you know your kid at all, you know when to lay off and when to give space and um, and when you know one parent or the other needs to tag out. Uh, we, we had surprisingly few problems with that. And I was quite amazed. Um, I've heard that travel can be really, really tough in a family, and and I'm, you know, I've come to the realization that I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, we got along really, really well. We felt the strain sometimes, and you know, it's a matter of you know taking a half day day trip on you know by yourself once in a while just to uh, go off and do something. I did a lot of wandering around, you know, a lot of photography, a lot of video work. So you know, I'd be the one out. I you know. Kids, would, the girls would go to uh, to the market, and I'd go off somewhere else and take some photos. We'd meet back for lunch and stuff. It, it takes a lot of work, and and I won't fool you. It, it wasn't easy, but I think uh, we we both had the right mindset, and I was quite amazed. I, I think we definitely came out of the year uh, strengthened in our uh, relationships. That's amazing. And what about uh, what about time alone for you and your partner? Like, did did you guys ever hire babysitters so you could have a night on the town or anything like that? No, no, we did not. Uh, the only time we had that was uh, when I was with my uh, mom and dad in Glyfada, where uh, we'd say, oh, we're going down to uh, Monastiraki for the night, though, and, and Elliot would stay home or something. But no, 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 we, uh, well, you know, we, we've had our backpacker party nights and, and stuff like that, and we're, we're, we're not into we're not party people anymore. When we go to Mykonos, we, we are there for, for the local culture, walking down through the old town. We're, we're, we're not into the party beaches and the club lifestyle and all that. So uh, we didn't miss that at all. Uh, if we want to go to live music at night, um, Europe, well, if you've been to Europe, you know this. You, you bring your kids to bars and, and cafes and, and everything else, and kids are up at all hours of the night, especially during the summer and spring when we were there. Um, so and, and Elliot loves listening to and, and watching live music and live acts and live theater. So um, she came with us. What are what would you say are some of the uh, the highlights in terms of sites or experiences that you all had together as a family during this year off? There were a couple. Well, no, frankly, there were many. There were many. Um, we love food, for example. Um, and in most countries we went to, and, and we were on at uh, 10 countries. I haven't done an itinerary yet, so we, we might want to go through that and edit that in. We love food. And so one of the highlights of almost every country we go to is experiencing local food. Um, both the, the, the haute cuisine, you know, the good stuff, but uh, the street food. We are big fans. We're all, we all got had our, um, our hep, uh, hepatitis uh, injection, so we were uh, reasonably, you know, uh, worry-free about about that. We had no zero uh, serious health issues. I mean, we had an upset tummy. I think each of us had an upset tummy once in the eleven months. Um, so food is definitely a big driver for us, and we seek it out. Um, in terms of sites, um, it's kind of interesting because we went to a few places that I'd been alone that I was just happy to revisit and sort of show off to the girls. 
and we went to a few places that Tina had been to um, as a university student. And you know, it was my first trip to Paris, for example. We were lucky enough to spend uh, a whole month walking around. We, we, we spent a month at Paris and walked about 250 kilometers uh, in that 28 days. Um, so showing off each other, showing off to each other the sites uh, that we knew well. And then, of course, exploring sites that we'd never been to, like Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Um, you mentioned uh, maybe an opportunity to talk about the itinerary, because you, you breezed over the countries and, and regions that you visited, but we didn't talk about how much time you were spending in each of those places. So were you highly nomadic, or did you sort of find a home base in each country and sort of uh, do the hub-and-spoke adventure tour? Um, so let me let me go through the um, let me go through the itinerary first for the record, and then uh, we can talk a little bit about um, about the uh, the philosophy we have when traveling. Great. Uh, okay, so we had a full year off. We spent the first month getting the house in order in uh, preparation for renting it out for the year. Uh, we took a month of uh, to road trip, uh, drive across Canada to Ontario to sort of be with our parents and and so forth before hiking out to Europe. We started with a three-month stint in Greece, uh, headquartered out of uh, Glyfada, and we very much used the base of operations approach. So from uh, Glyfada or Athens, it's, it's on the same metro line, so it's all in the same neighborhood. Uh, we took a, a two-and-a-half-week a two trip through the Cycladic Islands, so Mykonos and Santorini and Naxos and Syros and so on. Uh, then we come back and spend a week in Athens again, maybe go to the Parthenon or the Parthenon Museum, Acropolis Hill. Uh, then we did another day trip, or another uh, two and a half week trip to Crete, uh, and then Rhodes, and then back. Uh, when my parents were with us, we did a one week driving trip through the Peloponnesos. Uh, so that's the peninsula that starts around the Corinth Canal. Uh, so in Greece, we very much had a base of operations and uh, went off into different directions at different times of day. That is our preferred um, way of doing things because uh, we like the idea of being in a place and getting to know it sort of well. Uh, we, don't, we aspire to it, but in practice, we have differing opinions, my wife and I, about what court, what, what uh, what it means to actually stay in a place to get to know it. So um, a month is a minimum, and you don't get to know a place in a month. Um, the longest place, the longest amount of time we ever stayed in a single place was a month. Um, but in this next trip, we're, we're looking at extending it to being in a certain place for up to two or three months. So from Greece, we went to, um, we, we had a little stopover in Istanbul. I'd been to Istanbul a couple of times, and I wanted to show the girls, I wanted to show it off to the girls. Uh, so we spent two weeks um, in Istanbul in the dreary, cool, misty weather just before Christmas. Um, then we um, headed out to uh, Thailand, uh, well, Southeast Asia, starting in Thailand. We uh, we found a really good, um, it, it's a self-contained apartment with minimal cooking, but some cooking. Uh, but it's like a ho resort hotel. So it's an apartment, two-bedroom apartment, um, about two hours outside of Bangkok, around the... Um, I'm trying to think of east or west. It, down the east coast of uh, the Bay of Thailand, there, uh, in a, in a, near a city called Rayong. So, uh, we spent a month in Rayong, which is close to Koh Samui, Koh Samet, uh, Pattaya. Um, uh, Rayong itself is is uh, is is a tourist area, 
for locals. So there's a few expats in there, and we had I think we I had some of the best uh, German food I've had outside of uh, Canada in that place, and it was made by uh, uh, a German fellow and his Thai wife who lived in Germany for 30 years, and and the wife learned how to cook. They had a restaurant, and she learned how to cook authentic German food. So great German food in in uh, Rayong uh, Tapong in Thailand. Amazing. So a month in Thailand. Uh, we did a day trip for uh, a week towards uh, Cambodia, uh, so Angkor Wat, Siem Reap, and Badambang. Um, we met up with some friends who were uh, also in the region, who are actually down the street neighbors of ours, who were in northern Thailand. So we went up to um, Bangkok for a couple of days and up to uh, Chiang Mai, Chiang Rai area in, in the far north. We took the, uh, the, the slow fast boat down the Mekong towards Luang Prabang in uh, Laos for a couple of weeks. Um, then we flew from um, Vientiane to Vietnam, where we spent a month mostly in the Da Nang area. So all told, we spent about four months in Southeast Asia. Uh, we hit Singapore on the way out because Elliot met a friend in Laos who lives in Singapore, who are originally from Calgary. No way. And who had Yes, and who have a daughter the same age. So we actually made a side trip uh, and spent four days in Singapore uh, so the girls could uh, meet up with each other and so we could see a new country and, you know, knock it off the list type of thing. We're going to take just a quick break so I can tell you a bit more about our sponsors this episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation. The Edmonton Community Foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to help create a strong, vibrant community in Edmonton for generations to come. The foundation also produces the Well-Endowed podcast, which gets its name from the fact that the ECF helps donors set up endowment funds to support good works in the Edmonton community. The latest Well-Endowed podcast episode features a fantastic and fascinating conversation with the one and only George Takei. In this interview, Mr. Takei talks about his experience living in a Japanese-American internment camp during World War II, becoming an activist, and coming out in Hollywood. He'll be speaking live in Edmonton at the Shaw Conference Center on Wednesday, November 29th, as part of the Forward Thinking Speakers Series, presented by the Edmonton Public Library and the Edmonton Community Foundation. Get your tickets at epl.ca slash speaker series. And now, on with the show. She must have thought that was really cool to have met somebody in her travels and then to have the opportunity to visit her friend at home. That must have been amazing. It, it was it was absolutely amazing. Um, now, we, we were, we're not as great friends with them. We, it was harder to keep keep up with them. But in Rayong, for the month we were there, we uh, we did meet, um, and this, this, is, this is complicated. We met a German, Dutch, uh, Vietnamese, French, speaking the kids they had two kids and they spoke five languages english in, in addition to those four uh who happened to live in den Haag. and uh, th this family uh, who has a daughter it's about the same age and a, and a son who's a, a year older than elliot uh, have become really good buddies and we're looking forward to seeing them on our next leg to to uh to europe they're in den Haag in netherlands right now and we keep we exchange uh, postcards and and uh, Christmas cards and emails and little videos and all that stuff. So um, we absolutely were able to keep to make and keep up a friendship from abroad. So from Singapore, uh, that was your last stay in in Southeast Asia. Where did you head to after that? 
From Singapore, we headed over to Roma in Italy, uh, where we met up with uh, Tina's parents, who uh, came to visit us for two weeks. Uh, we hung out in Rome for a few days, and then we did a two, well, we did a one month, there we go, three week, <laughs> two week, three week, four, it's all a blur. Uh, did a three week driving tour of southern Italy uh, through Calabria, Cosenza, and along to the uh, Ionian coast, that's the east coast of Italy facing um, Greece. Uh, my father-in-law is, uh, he was born in Canada, but his parents were from a little town, well it's a big town now, it's a city, called Cosenza, and we wanted to uh, go check out the, uh, the homeland of, of the uh, father parental unit. So we went through uh, Cosenza and then over, the, um, over the, the Ridgeback Mountains to the east coast of Italy, and we hung out in uh, a little Italian town perched on a hillside within sight of the sea about you know, eight kilometers distant called Petropalo. And that's where we experienced small town Italian country life. Oh, that must have been amazing. You know what? Um, the word amazing could be easily overused um, and, and yet it is not because we had so many amazing experiences. So we stayed in southern Italy for a couple weeks. Uh, we drove back through um, Taranto and Rosso and L'Aquila, which is where they had the big earthquake a few years ago, which was still uh, rebuilding from that. Uh, went back to Rome, uh, put the outlaws on a plane, uh, and then we d um, went up to um, Venice, a place where both Tina and I had been, but Elliot had not, of course. Uh, Venice, then northern Tuscany for a couple of weeks. Uh, again, we, we, I think we found, yeah, we did. We found an Airbnb in um, in a little town about an hour north of Firenze, mm -hmm. um, sort of on the border of Emilia-Romagna and Toscana. Um, hung out there, uh, did little side trips, Pisa and Lucca, and you know, all those beautiful little Tuscany towns are, are all within you know an hour or two. We rented a car uh, for the for the two weeks. Uh, Cinque Terre, of course, the place I'd been. I wanted to show the girls that. We hiked, uh, well, a lot of the hikes were closed. They had big flooding and, and landslides, so uh, we took the train, of course. Um, and then we um, drove to Genova, dropped off the car, hopped onto a train, and we trained it over the border into Nice. So, south of France, we spent a month in the south of France. This is where uh, Tina had gone to school and university uh, many years ago. Um, and a Cool little anecdote. Again, we, we found an apartment, a little loft apartment in Nice that was kitty corner, unbeknownst to us, kitty corner to where Tina had lived for a whole year in university, you know, 15 years earlier. That is amazing. And I'm, I'm definitely overusing the word, but geez, what a strange coincidence. So many of them, hey? Yeah. Uh, so from south of France, uh, Nice, you know, into Carcassonne and, and, um, uh, and Teb, and we were uh, we were in Cannes for the film festival. From Nice, uh, we took a driving tour north through the Alps into Switzerland, where we had a few extra dollars that we just sort of left in Switzerland because it was one of the most expensive places we'd ever been to. <laughs> um, so into Genève, and then um, around about you know through uh, Bourgogne, uh, which is my favorite wine region, and then into Paris for the. Uh, the second last, the penultimate leg of the trip, we spent about 28 days in Paris uh, before spending the last five days of our trip, our last leg in London. So this is basically, for you know, a lot of people, a lifetime's worth of experiences crammed into one year. 
Um, so I've got a few different questions. First of all, in your travels, how were Canadians regarded by the people that you met? Was it was nationality something that got discussed a lot? People are naturally curious about where we're from and what we do and all that. A uh, little bit less so in Europe than in Southeast Asia. If they spoke English in uh, Vietnam, uh, they asked us a lot of questions about where we were, what we were. You know, I didn't, and, and I've, I've had it before, I've, I've, you know, in my previous travels, I've had a lot of admiration for it and, and questions about Canada. I, I really didn't see it that much uh, this time around. Um, we did meet a lot of Americans who uh, feigned Canadian citizenship to avoid <laughs> the bother. But honestly, and, 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 you know, is that a trope or not? No, it's not. I, as as um, as little as a couple of months ago, when I was in Cuba, I ran into at least two parties who were who had the Canadian uh, flags on their backpacks, but who were really American. And I actually have a video segment of, of us talking about that. Um, so I didn't see any overt, um, you know, one way or another. But then, then again, uh, many of our places, many of the places we stayed, were really off the tourist track, such as the where I mean, you know, is Paris off the tourist? No. Tur- Paris is right on the, on, on the um, on the path, but we stayed in the uh, the Neuvième arrondissement. That's uh, close to Montmartre, uh, and yes, there's absolutely tourists there. But we were surrounded by Parisians. Um, I've got to say, there, there's um, there's that old saw about how uh, how French are all stuffy and, and rude and everything else. Um, on the contrary, now we're both French speakers. Of course, well, all three of us are French speakers. Um, we had nothing but the but the best experiences with uh, with native Parisians, um, they loved to talk with us. They thought uh, they they didn't think our accent was uh, was quaint or grotesque or anything. They love hearing our uh, Canadian accent. Je parle en français comme un accent québécois, moi, si je voudrais. Um, so you know, I, I I could ham it up for him if I want, or I could speak a little bit uh, français normal like that if I wanted to. Um, there are a few quirks and things uh, when visiting other countries like that. Like I'd walk into a store. I remember I was looking for batteries once for, I think it was my luggage scale, my electronic luggage scale. And I walk into the store and I say, vous avez des piles? And, and, um, and the madame behind the counter says, she looks at me in a very correct pose, says, bonjour, monsieur. <laughs> and I says, oh, no. Right. So niceties and, and, and those kinds of things. I, I only made that mistake once and I never will again. But uh, but you, you certainly have to have um, a contextual feel for the places you're in. How, how are Canadians treated? Well, we are treated very well um, and surprisingly well in some places that have a reputation for being very snotty and snooty. Great. Now, you are you've done this once. You're going to do it again, right? This is correct. Tentatively, we are due up. Well, we are due to be in Glyfada at this time next year. And how long are you going to go for? And what what uh, countries do you guys still want to visit? Um, we've had th- this is an interesting um, an inter- interesting quandary we're at because you pointed out we we've had the trip of a lifetime, and and even before that we've traveled so much more than than most people get the opportunity to. Uh, trip planning has been a moving target, so we're on to plan three right now. We're, <laughs> which tentatively involves going back to Greece for three months. Uh, And I'll I'll go through the itinerary first, then explain the rationale. So Greece for three months. Uh, Then to the South Pacific. Uh, We we want to go to Bali and uh, Fiji uh, because it's just on our our bucket list. So we'll be uh, hopefully in the South Pacific for about four months. 
Um, we were going to go back to Vietnam. We may or may not, but we have two more months in either Vietnam or uh, Japan. And so tentatively two more months in Japan or two months in Japan. Uh, and then we propose to come back to uh, northern Europe, uh, Strasbourg, for the last three months. So somewhere in there is 11 or 12 months. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a moving target and very fluid. And what, what's the rationale behind the, the countries you're considering? All right. So in our first plan, uh, we'd intended to uh, go somewhere south, uh, New Zealand, Australia, uh, maybe uh, Santiago or Buenos Aires uh, in, in the south there, um, and, th and, and be there for a good chunk of time, like six months. And then we had the, uh, the epiphany that our parents want to see us and we want to see them and it, it, it'd be a really difficult decision to be separated from them. We're already, we already live across the country. They, they're both in Ontario and we're here. Um, it, it's a very hard thing to, to not see your parents for a whole year. Um, so we made the, uh, coupled with the, the amazingness that is Greece and the fact that there's so much yet to see for us. We, we discovered the South. We explored the South. We want to go up to the Ionian coast and Thessaloniki and up into the northern Greece, maybe Albania. Um, so coupled with the uh, a lot of Greece that we haven't seen and that our parents are going to be there anyways, we decided to – oh, and, and the food. Yeah. We Greek food. We had uh, – this is a tangent. As a teacher, I go off on tangents a lot. Um, I, I had the most intense craving for a fresh bread, which is a, a Euro 50 in the bakery – um, well, there's four bakeries at the bottom of our apartment in Glyfada. Uh, I had the intense craving for fresh bread, uh, feta cheese, uh, a fresh tomato, and olive oil for my breakfast. Um, so that draws us back to Greece to begin, and that's why we chose Greece. We'll see my parents there for a month or so, um, and we'll go explore some new places in Greece. Um, then we have to hike out of town because of, um, of treaty obligations and, uh, and Mr. Schengen doesn't like us remaining there for more than 90 days. So we'll go and reset the timer. Um, Bali and Fiji are just on the bucket list. We, those friends we met, um, Liz and Ramey and family in, um, in Thailand and Laos, uh, then went on to go down to Bali and have the most amazing, had the most amazing experience in a, in a, in a house rental there. So we're going to try to take that over for a month or two or three. Um, Japan, my daughter wants to go and she gets some say in, uh, in what we do. Uh, Japan is top on her bucket list at 10 years old. So Japan it is. And then, uh, Strasbourg in, uh, Northern Europe, if we can get the visa extension, we may do as much as four months up there, but, uh, it's a nice central location. My family is German, but I've not been to Germany. Uh, we have our friends in, uh, Den Haag that we met in Thailand that we would go and spend some time with. Uh, we have some friends that we met here in Alberta just about a month ago, invited to our place for a barbecue, and they live in northern Italy that we want to go visit now, uh, in Modena, uh, made famous by Master of None, of course. Um, so we're going to use uh, Strasbourg, France, in the northeast, yes, northeast of, uh, of France as um, our base of operation for the last three or four months. Man, that's that's going to be an amazing tour, uh, you know, gosh, and so diverse, too. It's not like you're just spending time in, you know, two regions. You're kind of you're, you're hitting a lot of different parts of the world, which is incredible. The, the I guess the last question that I have is because you've I've spoken with a few other couples that have done this kind of travel. And I'm curious to know, you know, what kind of advice would you give to people who are maybe doing the deferred salary thing 
what is something that you'd wish you'd known before your first trip and that you're going to maybe apply to this trip? Well, there's a couple of questions in there. Um, you know, the bigger issue is if you have the ability to do deferred salary, and teachers are very blessed. I mean, there, there are many, uh, many pressure points in the teaching profession, and yet there are many meaningful and fun and wonderful perks to it as well. And the fact that the, our boards allow us to go off, get some life experience, and bring that experience back into the classroom, I think, is a great um, – um, it, it speaks well for public education. But if you're offered the chance to do deferred salary and you've always wanted to travel the world, my, my key bit of advice is just do it. Uh, we took a salary knock. We, we have 25% of our salary taken off every month. Um, so we definitely have a salary uh, bump down. On the other hand, we uh, get a little bit of income from the house and the rental. Uh, and we have the same salary um, uh, when we're abroad. Uh, there, there, there are a thousand reasons not to do something, and there's only one good reason to do it, which is you want to. Before we leave, I know that you're doing a lot of your own uh, content creation around traveling. Where can people find what you're doing online, Teddy? And, and you know, even before that, what is it all about? All right. So my online presence is Where's Teddy Now? Uh, you can find me and our adventures at tedblog.ca. Uh, my YouTube channel is Where's Teddy Now? And uh, I'm at the point where I'm just starting the uh, channel, so I don't have very many subscribers, so I can't have a customized URL. So please show up, pop into my blog at tedblog.ca, and uh, you'll find a link to uh, Where's Teddy Now? the YouTube channel. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself and let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats wherever you download your podcasts and please leave us a review. That would help us out a lot. You can also follow and like us on both Twitter and Facebook. Just search for Expats Podcast. The Expats is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can hear The Expats and other great shows on the fantastic G-Radio. Visit gradio.ca to discover new and excellent content today. And hey, if you're a big fan of CKUA Radio like I am, download their app. You can check out all the members of the Alberta Podcast Network right there on the CKUA app. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.